Hey, this is Scott Dresser, host of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Give it a big shout-out for an RFS in Florida in need of 500 people for disaster security. They are actively seeking personnel for standby deployment for a potential hurricane in Florida starting uh, Sunday, the uh, second day of August uh, this year. Shifts are 12-hour days and nights, seven days minimum in terms of duration, possible extension, Depending on storm damage, travel, lodging, and rentals are provided. Pay is 300 a day. The proviso, you must be licensed to provide security in Florida. If you're interested, contact jboyer at luthermanagement.com. That's j-b-o-y-e-r at luthermanagement.com. One more time, j-b-o-y-e-r. At Luther, L U T H E R M G M T dot com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Oconus, the Contractor's Life. I'm your host, Scott Dresser. My guest today is Jim Sarosky, former member of the U.S. Navy, private security contractor, and author of the book, Bear the Sword. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. Glad to be here. Likewise, man, it's a sincere pleasure. Uh, you're actually um, working today, um, so <laughs> this is this is a uh, uh, a very uh, special pleasure uh, when guys are actually working. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day uh, to uh, get on and talk with me. So uh, I'd, uh, I uh, appreciate the opportunity. So. Without me getting it wrong, without me mudding it up, <laughs> why don't why don't we uh, let you tell folks, uh, provide them with a uh, uh, with some history and background on uh, on who you are and what you did uh, prior to getting into contracting. Okay, yeah. So uh, you know, right out of high school, I uh, joined the Navy. I was in the uh, fleet for a couple of years, and then uh, I was actually in the fleet in San Diego, California, on North Island, which is about probably three miles from the SEAL teams there, where, where the actual SEAL school BUDS is in Coronado. So I saw a lot of the uh, BUDS trainees running around. I saw a lot of the uh, SEALs running around, and I was on a ship at the time, and we did a deployment. And uh, when you're uh, E1, E2 in the Navy, and you're on a uh, ship that's doing a six-month deployment, you know, you're doing a lot of the uh, not-so-fun jobs. <laughs> so when we pulled into Yakuska, Japan, there was an opportunity to take the the SEAL, what they call the diving motivator. Uh, there was a diving motivator there, and he's a recruiter. He can administer a physical fitness test to either go into EOD, SEALs, or become a uh, Navy diver. So I kind of said, all right, you know, I saw the SEALs in action, and I see them running around in their in their shorts and swimming and in their boats. And I said, you know, I think I could, uh, I think I could like that lifestyle. So I took the test and I passed the test. And uh, when I got back to San Diego, I had orders to go to Bud's and I went to class 109 and graduated class 109. And uh, I spent the next 20 years in the SEAL teams. I was in SEAL team five, SEAL team six, field teammate, and I retired as a chief warrant officer, three, as the training officer at a field teammate. Now, right after that, I uh, became a police officer in Virginia Beach. was a police officer for about four years, 
And about that same time, Blackwater was being built down in Moyoc, North Carolina, which is about a 40-minute drive from Virginia Beach. And uh, it was uh, it was just being built, so it was kind of new. So I uh, I started working down there as a part-time firearms instructor, and uh, I had the opportunity to go full-time. So I uh, you know put my resignation in with the police department after four years, and I started uh, work down there as the director of training. I was probably about their fifth or sixth hire at Blackwater, and uh, that's where I really got into the. Uh, contracting business first as a manager of contractors that were going overseas and then later on in my life as an actual contractor huh. and that's so i got a long history with the uh contracting business because when i was at blackwater 9-11 happened and that's when the government really started relying on contractors and if blackwater was not the first we were at least among the first who actually sent contractors overseas in a war zone uh, in a security capacity. And uh, so we started organizing contractors, recruiting them, training them, equipping them, and sending them overseas. And uh, so, like I said, we were either the first or among the first to do something like that. So I got a long history with uh, the contracting world. And that's kind of how I got into it, how I... uh, how I started uh, contracting business. Huh. Wow. So you've got, so your history goes back uh, Navy in the 80s and 90s, and then... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sadly, I'm 61 years old now, so I'm on my uh, kind of the downhill, uh, you know, side of my, uh, of my uh, working life. And, uh, and I'm, uh, you know, just, uh, so, I'm, so I'm doing the contracting stuff, but I'm doing... Low speed contractors. <laughs> uh, we we all got to take a break at some point, right? <laughs> so that's right. Uh, that's exactly right. So you're an early adopter, so you've seen a lot of change, not only in the military but also in contracting. Um, right. Yeah. So when we first started out, you know, it was the typical pay was about twelve hundred dollars a day. Hmm. Our first group of guys that we sent over was. Uh, to protect a hotel in Afghanistan for Department of Defense. And I think, uh, I, I don't know exactly, but I think it was around 18 guys that we sent over there. And they were getting top dollar. And it was new back then. There was, you know, it was, uh, not only was the security contracting new, but also having civilians train military people. But as a contractor, you could be a security contractor or you could be a an instructor that's a contractor. Hmm. So, and that's kind of new to the government. So, uh, we were, uh, you know, we were writing the book, if you will. You know, there wasn't a lot of other companies around. Tiger Swan wasn't around. Triple Canopy wasn't around. Uh, O'Gara Group wasn't around. All those companies weren't, didn't exist. It was really Blackwater and, and, uh, a lot of the contracts that we got at first were what they call, uh, uh, no, no, no compete. They gave it to us because uh, they needed us right away. They didn't have time to put it out for uh, for uh, competition, so they awarded us the contract, and we had it for a year. Then after a year, they could compete it. Huh. So uh, we were breaking, uh, we were breaking stone. We were uh, blazing the trail, if you will. Right. And, yeah. So, so not not only 
were we doing that overseas, but in the contracting world amongst the contracting officers that actually write the contract for us, it was new to them as well. Hmm. So there was a lot of growing pains in that aspect, and then there was a lot of growing pains in actual deploying people overseas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say, um, you. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, a lot of us that, that did what you're talking about um, saw it from a different perspective, and uh, your perspective was unique because you had an opportunity to, to get that behind the scenes view, so to speak. Uh, right. You know, how, how you know, the, uh, the stuff that most people don't see, um, you know, when guys like me right. would say, you know, if you guys understood what they were had to do, you probably wouldn't be complaining so much. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, okay. So, so you guys uh, went over there, uh, what, uh, somewhere spring, summer 2003 when you deployed the guys? Yeah, you know, I I uh, it was probably pretty close. I don't know the exact uh, time frame, but uh, we went into Afghanistan and and uh, we were there. Then they extended our contract. Then they asked us if uh, we could provide people for another hotel. Shortly after that, hmm. next thing you know, we're doing three hotels. So we have a lot of guys deployed now, huh. and uh, the requirements even even picking up again. You got to remember, you weren't. The other security companies weren't around. You know, right. they, they it was uh, supply and demand. Hmm. You know, it wasn't that Blackwater had a, uh, you know, this uh, great business plan and we marketed good. It was supply and demand, and there wasn't a lot of competition around at the time. Right. But so we could think, we could name the price. We could uh, say this is what we need, and we could say this is how much it's going to cost. Because number one, we weren't sure. There's a lot of unknowns. You know. And, right. uh, so, so that's why the, uh, you know, that's why the guys were getting paid so much. But when you started then after that year and then these contracts started coming out and it was a competitive bid now. So the, you start seeing the price for the, what the contractors were getting paid go down from 1200 to 800 to now in some cases it's $200 a day. So, so, you know, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely changed. A lot. <laughs> An awful lot. But you know, as a manager, what we look for in the contractors was not necessarily the skill set. Skill set is important, but skill set was a dime a dozen. Hmm. So a lot of people out there that could shoot good, that could you know assemble a two forty or two forty nine and and shoot accurately. But what we started realizing, we needed to look for the right personality because when you go over their personalities come out when you're in confined spaces and you're living there for long periods of time and you're working every day and it's hot and you got to wear body armor. You know, if you, if you are a, uh, you know, if you get along with people, you know, your, your core character comes into play as a contractor because for the companies that hire contractors, they don't want to deal with people fighting. They don't want to deal with the guy who is, uh, is like cancer and causing problems uh, they're looking for that quiet professional, somebody who gets along with other people, somebody who's not going to complain about, uh, you know, the lack of uh, space or personal space and stuff like that. So uh, those are the kind of contractors that we're, uh, that we're looking for. We're looking for the quiet professional that had the proper skill set. Hmm. The quiet professional 
being on top of the list. Huh. There's two types of uh, there's two types of clients out there. There's a there's the government client and then there's a the civilian client, right? Uh, a government client is like Department of State, DIA, uh, you know those kind of those kind of clients, and they have requirements. So not only do we got to look for the quiet professional who has a skill set, then you got to have all these requirements that Department of State has. Mm-hmm. You have to have certain walls. You know, you have to have a uh, I forget what that clearance is called. You have to have some of government clearance, but it's like a uh, you know a little just below that and. Uh, you have to go through this type of training. You have to go through that type of training. You have to have this call, and you have to go through their training program. So that that even starts to so now our body pool of contractors that we're looking for starts to narrow down. And then you have the civilian contracts where you're going over fees and you're uh, providing security for maybe a construction crew who who really don't have any requirements, but you have to make up the requirements. For the contractors that you hire hmm. before they go overseas, so the so the, you know there's different types of contractors or different types of contracts that the contractors could be support. So you could be you may be a uh, high speed Navy SEAL with all this with all these quals, but you may not qualify for a simple contract when you're training Navy students, basic Navy students in firearms because. As a SEAL, you probably have contract or uh, shooting schools that you've been to, like uh, John Shaw's or or Bill Rogers and, and things like that. But to qualify to be a Navy instructor, have you gone through the NRA course? The mm-hmm. NRA course and the NRA instructor course is not as high speed, but that's a requirement that that government contract has. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the contractors experience frustration because they're high speed. But the contractor to support is low speed and has low speed requirements huh. that they don't have. Yeah, sometimes that comes into play. <clears throat> Interesting. But, you know, there's, there's, there's three there's three questions that uh, the contractor has to ask himself because contracting number one isn't for everybody. There's there's I there's really not a long longevity in contracting because uh, it's a hard life. You know you have to really figure out what your life vision is. You know, what do you want to be doing 10 years from now? And how does contracting fit into that? Because as a contractor, there's uh, there's more money involved, but there's also more risk. And the risks are not getting shot at, but the risks are not having to work. Because as a contractor, you're always looking for that next job. And sometimes it's months between jobs. So, you know, when I say you have to know what your life vision is, you know, you need to be prepared for this type of lifestyle and doesn't support your life vision because you're going to be gone. You're going to be away from your family. And uh, when you come back, uh, you know, you may be back for a couple of months. And when you're back, that means you're not getting paid. Right. So you have to be able to, uh, you know, support yourself and your family financially. So the, the three questions you got to ask yourself, number one is, uh, uh, you know, what's in it for me? That's the number one question. What is in it for me? How much money am I going to be making? And uh, am I going to be making it right off the bat? Because sometimes you have to know who you're working for. Uh, you know, are they going to pay you every two weeks? Are they going to pay you every 30 days? 
Or are they going to pay you what they get paid, which could be 45 days plus before you actually see a paycheck? So you have to ask yourself, what's in it for me? And you have to know your client. If you're working for, and I've done this, a FEMA contract, you're not actually working for FEMA. You're working for a contractor who's working for FEMA. So the pay cycle, and what, what, so what happens is, like, I was down in Virgin Islands, right? So we're actually working a FEMA project, but we're working for the government of the Virgin Islands. And the government of the Virgin Islands submits an invoice to FEMA, and FEMA pays that. So by the time the contractor gets their money to pay you, it could be two months. Mm. So the contractors that you're working for, do they have the deep pockets to pay your salary until they get paid? These are the things you need to ask yourself when you ask that question, what's in it for me? The second thing you have to ask yourself is, uh, can I work for that company? Can I work for those people? Because, uh, you know, there's companies out there that are like, uh, you know, they're, uh, they, you know, like black ops. They think they're black ops type of people. Uh, they got egos, you know, they wear black all the time. Uh, you know, do you want to be part of that? You know, or do you, or is a company, do they take care of their guys? Uh, you know, you need to ask these questions and you need to, uh, do your due diligence on the company that you're going to be working for. So, First question is, what's in it for me? Second question, can I work for that company? Can I work for those guys? And then the third one is, uh, what's the longevity of that contract? Hmm. You know, are, are you just going to go down there for two weeks? Are you just going to go down there for a month? Or is this a six-month program? Is this a nine-month program? Because uh, obviously, if it's only a uh, couple weeks, you're going to spend a lot of your own money <laughs> before you get paid, and then you're going to be looking for another job. Right. So, you know, these are all the things that these contractors need to ask themselves before they get into this. And do they want to do this for 10 years? What is your life vision and how does this fit into your life vision? Because it is a hard life. That's not for everybody. Right. Right. Now, so from your perspective and your experiences working both um, overseas and working, you know, technically um, outside the U.S., but part of it, like uh, you mentioned, the, I think you said the Virgin Islands. Um, right, yeah. So uh, can you explain to folks from your perspective what you experienced, it, what are the practical managerial and or operational differences between working, say, like in the Middle East versus, say, working of uh, uh, what you did down there in, in, in Puerto Rico? Right, okay, so... Uh... Usually, if you're overseas in the Middle East, you're supporting a government contract. Probably 90, maybe 80% of the contracts that are overseas is in support of a government contract, whether it's Department of State, the agency, or Department of Defense. Uh, so you have that infrastructure with you when you're, uh, you know, that means, when I say infrastructure, that means you probably got a good chow hall you're eating out of, you probably got transportation, and your lodging is, is, uh, is acceptable. When you are in a disaster zone, like the Virgin Islands of Puerto Rico, you don't have electricity, you don't have running water, and you, uh, and your lodging is very questionable, or you're packing a lot of people into the same, uh, into the same, like, condo or something like that. Mm. So the difference, I would say, first of all, the biggest difference 
is the support that you have. Again, overseas, Mideast, you got, you got, usually you have the government supporting you in some way with food, you know, with the, with life support. In the disaster zone, working for a civilian company, that support is very minimal or it's not there at all. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it grinds you down a little bit more when you don't have electricity, you don't have water, you're washing your clothes out of a garbage bag, you know, switching it around and <laughs> adding clean water and switching it around. Uh, so life support is a little bit harder when, you, uh, when you're down there. So number one, that's the, probably the number one biggest difference. And then the number two difference is pay. Again, supporting a government contract, they're usually pretty uh, regular. In the civilian side, it, it varies from company to company. Mm. That's why you have to do your due diligence to find out who you're working for, what kind of deep pockets they have, and what's the history of how they treat your guys. Mm. Okay. Wow. So, uh, you know, you, you, uh, hit on something about life support. <laughs> I had forgotten all about that term, but uh, I do remember that term now. Um, uh, life, life support when you talk about the infrastructure stuff, cause that, there were contracts just for that stuff, I remember. Um, yes, there was, yes. Yeah, um, but, you know, the, when guys talk about, when we talk about, um, the overseas work, for example, um, and you're talking about the differences there, say, like uh, working with FEMA in the Virgin Islands, uh, not having that support. In the early part, when you guys were deploying people over there, when guys were working, uh, wasn't there a, a lot of that same sort of stuff going on? I mean, uh, it took a while for Uncle Sam to uh, really get the wheels spun up and, and get that support over there? Uh, you know, it was, it was for us, you know, we – Obviously, didn't go in the first wave. We were after you know they, the troops already landed, and there was uh, Halliburton came in with the uh, with the kitchens and the life support systems to support the big army, and we just kind of fell into that. So sometimes we had to supply our own life support. We had to go out there and find our own places to live and our own food stuff like that. But hmm. it was kind of after the smoke cleared. Okay, there was uh, you know there was more points of contact to contact to find out where we're going to live. We had to provide our own security at our villages that we lived in and, and things like that. So uh, I, would, I would tell you life support was, you know, still challenging, but it was a different kind of challenge than the disaster zone. Huh. You know, the, the disaster zone is a disaster zone. And, uh, you know, you need to be, you need to have the right, you need to have things like, uh, a sat phone. You need to have stuff. If you're in a vehicle, the vehicles were almost a life support system because hmm. you know you had uh, you had that's where you charge your cell phones. You had to have converters to convert you know electricity in the, in the vehicles. You had you had no internet, so you had to have the uh, what do you call those things? The, uh, the portable uh, internet jetpack type of uh, you know communications. Huh. So you you have to have different stuff deploying to a disaster zone than you would to the Mideast where they have electricity and they have, you know, things like that so you don't have to worry about. Hmm. So from a managerial point of view where where you were doing that, um, or is, is the work you're doing, uh, say, at a disaster uh, zone on a contract for that versus, say, a contract um, in a conflict area, is, 
is the work you do as a manager, is it different or is it the same on those sorts of things? It's, you know, as a manager, you, uh, you, you have to be able to deal with the different personalities in your group. Uh, you, that's, that's one thing. So that's the same, whether you're in the Mideast or, or, uh, or in the disaster zone. Hmm. So, you know, those skill sets in a manager are pretty much the same as far as how do I deal with all these different personalities. Hmm. And then, but what, again, what's different is the logistics. You know, you have a skill set to organize a deployment into a disaster zone would be different than a skill set organizing to go to the Mideast. Okay. Uh, and, the, and the only way you get that experience is by actually uh, participating in disaster zone. <laughs> right. And, and it sucks. I'm telling you. It sucks. <laughs> you, know, you, get, you get rashes, you know, and you get, uh, you, you know, you, you, there's no air conditioning. There's no electricity. Food becomes difficult to, to get. You're eating, you're eating things that they can cook on a grill. Huh. Burgers and hot dogs. <laughs> you know? So if you don't like and, burgers and, and hot dogs, <laughs> you're in trouble. Overseas, you, know, you got you got Halliburton or places like that where it's cooking you up steak and eggs and things like that. Right. Wow. So, okay. So as a manager, you know, how you deal with the people is the same, but how you coordinate your logistics is different. You know, there's an old saying out there that kind of stuck in my mind is uh, amateurs argue tactics, professionals playing logistics. Huh. And when you're when you're bringing a group of guys into these different environments, your logistics is everything. You know, where are they sleeping? Where are they eating? Where are they drinking? Where are they showering at? How are they getting around? Where are they getting their gas? Yeah, all those things that uh, most people don't right. take into consideration. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> and if you are a contractor and you are you decide this contracting stuff is good for me, you have to. You know, you have to be able to adapt. There, you know, there's, there's three things that, as a contractor, there's, that, they, that gets contractors in trouble. The first one is alcohol. Mm. Drinking, you know, even if it's off-duty, you, know, you, you get belligerent, you cause problems, you drink and drive. You know, see, drinking and drugs are the, probably the number one cause of contractors getting fired. Huh. What do you think the number? What do you think the second one is? Oh, um, I'm going to say, is it drinking and drugs? Yeah, I I know that one. I mean, not personally. Yeah. I'm just I'm just saying. Um, yeah. You know, based on what I saw and heard, I'm going to say it's uh, somewhere between video gaming and porn. Uh, not quite. No, okay. Fraternization and sex. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Guys, there have been guys who have uh, client, female clients, and, you know, they get, they get oh. paid to have it. They'll have a maybe like a one-night, two-night stand with that. Then all of a sudden there's some conflict between those two. Still mm. over into the, uh, into the work environment. Now this person who's in charge of us, you know, because, She's the client has an attitude with one of our a big attitude, so right. you know that jeopardizes your whole art, your whole your whole uh, operation down there. So uh, alcohol is number one, fraternization and sex is number two, and the third one is your ego. Huh. You got to keep your ego in check. 
you know, you could be a uh, most people who do contracting stuff. They've done 20 years, maybe 10 years in the military. They know a lot of things, or you know, they got good leadership skills. And then when they get on contract, they don't want to do that. Uh, stand posted two o'clock in the morning in the middle of the night. You know, they're they're beyond that. They, I'm a manager. They, you need to use my managerial skills. Huh. You're wasting you're wasting my experience if I'm standing posted two o'clock in the morning. You know, but you got to keep your ego. The, the the right attitude to have is whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Right. You're retired field warrant officer, and you know if they want me to uh, be a site need somewhere, I can do that. If they want me to stand duty at two o'clock in the morning, I can do that too with uh, with no lip service. You know, I, 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 I'll be on time, and I will uh, be happy about it. You know. Right. Some people can't can't accept that. So you got to have the right. You got to keep your ego in check, and you got to have the right attitude to be a contractor. Wow. Yeah. You, yeah. Cause, because if you start causing, for, it could be like the cancer. If you started to, uh, you know, complain, and then 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 all of a sudden I got two guys complaining, and then there's three guys complaining. So you know you got to keep that. And as a manager, you got to be able to see it, and then you got to be able to. Uh, Felt it really quick. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I've interviewed people for contracting jobs, and I said, "Can you send me your resume?" And they'll say something like, "My resume is too classified to send." <laughs> this is a major I was talking to in the army. Huh. Uh, again, that's ego. That's ego written all over. Or uh. I get a phone call saying, uh, "You know, I'll tell them what the job is." And uh, they'll say, "Well, you know what? We, uh, you know, we got all this SWAT experience. Uh, that's really, you know, you're not using us to our full potential if you got us watching a warehouse. Mm. You know, we we need to be roving or doing surveillance or something like that." And in the back of my mind, I said, "Okay, uh, you know, I'm not calling him back." <laughs> but that's, that's what I mean by keeping your ego checked. You got to be, you got to be willing to do A to Z, whether it's, you know. Guard in a warehouse or or being a site lead somewhere. Wow. I'd be happy. So it's the three things that get you in trouble are alcohol, fraternization slash sex, and attitude. Or right. Attitude. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it's amazing you hit on on on, the, on all those topics that, you know, uh, I think uh, sometimes we sometimes recollect, but I you know, those are things that yeah, now that you mentioned it's like, yeah, I remember all that. <laughs> it's Wow, right, that's real. That's real stuff, and uh, it is. They bring they bring down contracts. You know, they let I me mean bring down. I mean, they have gotten contractors fired or companies fired before. Yep. Oh yeah, I remember one in particular that I won't go into detail about, but yeah, and, and that was that was a source of consternation on one contract for as long as I was on it was uh, a, a handful of guys doing exactly right. what you're talking about the the three things yeah. you don't do and. Uh, yeah, it caused problems, um, and that contract eventually went away. Uh, and I and I right. I don't know that it was because of that, but I did hear from some of the muckety mucks um, that 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 they got they finally realized that was an issue and they got rid of them. And I I yeah. don't, but uh, no, that that's huge. Um, right. So yeah. and, and the thing you talk about the private or I'm sorry the quiet professionals. So for the longest time, a lot of guys, you know, were thinking, well, quite professional because the way it was portrayed at a lot of websites was, you know, what you're talking about, the high-speed guys. But right. you're saying, and that's fine, but if you can't keep your ego in check, if you can't do what everybody else is doing and being a team player, 
and not cause problems. Uh, that's a huge thing. And that came into play in a lot of contracts, um, especially later uh, with uh, I forget what they called them, but where, where they did a uh, they had a test for for your personality. And some of them were quite yeah. lengthy. Sure. Right. Yeah. You have to get what it's called, too. But they had, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the government contracts make you take some some form of a psychological evaluation test. Right. And the, and the minimum test is uh, like a question. You answer a bunch of questions and then a psychiatrist actually or psychologist actually uh, reviews it and gives her opinion. Right. Yeah. It's uh, so so that was uh, so that's uh, great information because a lot of guys and you know you talk about the longevity of guys in, yeah. in the job. So when you get right down to it, you know, because I've uh, and I think you can you can attest to this is um, that. I've said to people, I said, you know, there, there's when it comes to contracting, whether it's overseas or uh, in the states or anywhere else, you know, there's a ton of contracts that covers probably everything you can think of here in the states. The security aspect is really a pretty small one, and the guys that do it for any length of time gets even smaller uh, because right. of the reasons you hit on. Yeah. Um, so right. the so the fact that you're still in it, <laughs> I mean. That that's a testament, uh, you know, just talking with you. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, grounded, down to earth kind of guy, and and that's that's what you're looking for for the. I mean, that's part of what you're looking for, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that and you, when you start doing Kona stuff, qualifications requirements change. For instance, I'm getting phone calls from my buddies saying, "Hey, can you get me in?" You know, something like that, and they don't realize that I spent about a year working on what they call the guard card. Every state has different requirements for their security officers. Right. For instance, North Dakota, to get your security license, you have, not only do you have to take a firearms test, but you have to take a, a written test. And the written test, it wasn't easy, and you couldn't miss any questions. Huh. You know, you got to send your fingerprints in, and you got to do all that kind of stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, as soon as I tell them what they got to do, they go, oh, that ain't for me, I'll see you. <laughs> uh, number one, you know, you, it takes time to do it. Right. It really doesn't cost too much. But, uh, you know, from the time you actually start your application to you actually get your card, could be anywhere from three to six months, you know. And right. most people want to know what's going on right now. Where can I get a job right now? Right. But you gotta, you got to kind of, you if you're going to get, like I said, you know, you got to really evaluate you want to be a contractor or not, and how it fits into your life vision. Because you have to invest in yourself as far as licensing goes in the CONUS world. Right. So, like, if you live, if you live, uh, let's say, Texas or Nebraska, wherever you live at, you should probably have security license for that state and the surrounding states around you. So, you know, when the work is available, you say, I, yeah, I got a guard card. I'm good to go. Right. And then they would hire you because these companies have to hire licensed security. They can care less if you were a SEAL or not. You know, they want to know do you have a guard card, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, and because uh, insurance, number one, the company, the insurance is not going to allow that company to hire somebody that doesn't have a guard card. Number two, that's what the law requires. And number three, the client also requires you to obey the law or be in compliance with the law. Right. Where they want to see their guard cards. Now, here's another thing. 
So uh, you have to have a guard card at the contract, like I said, invest in yourself. A lot of people also want to see training in, in safety, like uh, industrial safety, hmm. which is you go online and you take a, a four-hour course and you hit a button and then you got a diploma. Or huh. like sexual harassment training and, uh, you know, workplace diversity type stuff. You know, when you submit your resume, they say you got your guard card, you got industrial safety training, and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're desirable. You know, hmm. that's what they look for. So you got to kind of invest in yourself. You got to be kind of aware of what the industry you're supporting is looking for. Right. So, so when, so when guys, regardless of where they're at in their career or, um, when they're looking for work, uh, and they want to, and, and they make the choice they want to be a contractor. Uh, they've got, they've got a lot of homework to do because like you're saying, it depends on where you're going right. to be working. And, and that should say a lot. Uh, would you agree that that says a lot to, uh, whether you want to hire that person or not, whether they're willing to do what is needed to make the cut? Um, do right. you, do you yeah. would you, would you say that says a lot about that person's character? If you know that, yeah, um, yeah, it goes back to the old saying, how bad do you want it? Right. <laughs> you want to do this work? Like I said, if it fits into your life vision, and this is part of your life vision, then you need to, uh, you need to, you know, you need to pursue those things. Right. Invest in yourself. Now, now the investment it can, it can be pretty hefty sometimes, too. I mean, because we're talking not just, I mean, you hearken on a number of them, which can be not terribly expensive, but... It, we're talking, it takes money for the courses, the training, and also maybe maybe some equipment and gear that you might need to take with you from job to job, correct? Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, like my, my gear is, uh, uh, what do I, I got, uh, you know, I got satellite phones. I got everything I need to, uh, live out of a car as far as, uh, power. Hmm. I got converters. I got cell phone boosters. You know, I got my portable, uh, jet pack for the internet. Hmm. Uh, you know, these are some of the, number one, you know, that stuff costs money. And number two, you know, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, doing security work, you, you need to be able to communicate. And, you know, this is, uh, the company may or may not supply this stuff, but if they didn't supply it, I got it. Wow. You know, I got binoculars, uh, you know, things like that. Well, I mean, that, I mean, that, that level of, uh, what we would term, uh, professionalism, you know, because uh, that term when people talk about, well, I'm a professional, it's like, okay, well, tell me what you mean, <laughs> you know. But that's yeah, what we're right. talking about when you say level of professionalism, or when I say it, and when we're talking about professionals, that we're talking about the guys that what you're talking about, what you what you're doing. I mean, you take it seriously, and you know, um, if the company provides it, great. But if not, don't worry about it, man. I got it. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's and another thing to add to that list: steel-toed boots. <laughs> I haven't been in the last probably working for FEMA, working for all these other people I work for, which is usually in the construction business. They're going to require steel toe boots. Huh? That's like a that's like 150 bucks. Right. Yeah. So now, if you so if all of a sudden this job comes up and you have a guard card and everything, what you don't want to do is you don't want to all of a sudden spend five hundred dollars on you know buying all this stuff. Because that's a pretty big chunk out of your, you know, bank account. You want to have it already, you know, buy a little bit at a time. Right. So when the opportunity does, you know, what's luck? 
when opportunity, when preparation meets opportunity, you know, you have everything. And yeah, I'm lucky I got on this contract. Right. Because I prepared, and now the timing was right. And I'm huh. ready for it. So a guy or a gal, because you know, I'm sure we've we've met women in, in security uh, as well. Oh, yeah. That, um, but uh, so a guy or gal that uh, that's going to do this line of work in the states or elsewhere. Uh, right. you know, take heed of these, these sorts of things. Um, right. yep. you know, so, and I've met guys, you know, and I, and I read stuff where they're, you know, talking about what you said, they got multiple license, you know, California, Texas, Florida, and, and other States. And it's uh-huh. like, and it's like, wow, man, <laughs> you know, I mean, I stopped running the circuit, um, you know, for my own reasons here in the States, but, right. um, you know, it, it got to a point where I looked at that stuff and went, holy camoly, man. I mean, sometimes yeah. sometimes the companies would pay for it, you know, if, if you met all the yeah. other provisos. Sometimes uh, they'll have it, yeah, and sometimes you don't know if they're going to have it or not. So you want to make sure you have it. Right, yeah, and that's, and that, but that's that's a big thing uh, because a lot of guys I talk to that, that ask me about getting into security, you know, uh, before we even get to that point, they're already, yeah, I think I'll go flip burgers. I mean, not really, but I mean, it's like, right. but that yeah. is, it takes a whole different breed of person to do what we're talking about. Um, yeah. Now, you, so if we can, let's go back. So when you were uh, uh, on contract uh, uh, managing with uh, Blackwater, now how, right. long, now how long were you, how long did, uh, did that last? How long did you do that before you went on to other things? I, I was over Blackwater for 10 years. Wow. Okay. Right. I got to Blackwater, there's probably uh, 10 people there. And hmm. when I left, there was maybe, uh, maybe like 800 at the uh, facility and probably another couple thousand deployed. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, so you know, uh, you know, again, you know, you learned a lot because, uh, you know, there's two sides. So we learned a lot at the company, what kind of license you had to have. You know, if you deployed a piece of body armor overseas, you know, you have to have a license to deploy that overseas. You know, these are all things that we uh, that we learned about as we were growing. Huh. So, you know, there's there's a lot more to the contract than just boots on the ground, if you will. Right. Uh, well, yeah, you you had you had your security operating license uh, at some point right. in Iraq. Um in Afghanistan, you've got to have that and the import and export stuff uh, for, like I said, uh, PPE, uh, weapons, ammunition, all of it. I mean, if you couldn't source it in country, but you still had to, you know, you, you had to dot the I's yeah. across the T's. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So you did that for 10 years. So about what, 2013 when you wrapped it up there? 2010, I left. 2010. Okay. Um, so. After you were done with that, then you went on. Uh, you were a law enforcement. I, I did. Uh, no, I, after I got out of the navy, I did law enforcement, and then okay. I went to Blackwater. Okay. And then, and then uh, about you know, my my wife died about 2010, and uh, that's when I you know, had to focus on my two young, uh, young but they're teenage kids that were uh, uh, still growing up, you know. So I, so I stayed in Virginia Beach, and I did. Uh, I did. I just did odd jobs around Virginia Beach. Now that they got older and they're on their own now, you know, I started getting back into the contracting world. Hmm. Okay. And so I, I took care of my family. You know, you just spend as much time as I could with that. And it was, 
it was what was challenging about that part of my life was, uh, you know, my skill set and the work in the area with my skill set. You know, there wasn't that much, there wasn't <laughs> that much local work for, for, for me. So I, uh, I, you know, I did some curriculum writing. I did some, uh, I did some training. You know, there's some local training going on that I uh, did. Training was always my, my strong point. Hmm. When I was, when I left Blackwater, I was the vice president of training for Blackwater. Huh. Wow. And we, and, and we had a lot of trainers that were contractors that went overseas. Okay. And, and we have supply our own security as well in some places. Right. But, I mean, we probably had maybe 800 guys deployed overseas. Jeez. Now. Training. Training contracts. Oh, wow. Okay. So that uh, that that's another question because, um, you know, I remember uh, that sometimes instruction and training sometimes was provided in the States before we deployed over. Sometimes we got training, instruction, while we were there, and other times we got it both at both ends and in between. Uh, same thing? Exactly. Every, every contract was a little bit different. Okay. To support a Department of State or a uh, agency contract, there was a very regimented training program that you had to go through. And you were evaluated every day. The instructors were special instructors. They had to be vetted as well. And uh, they provided the training for the Department of State contractors that were deploying overseas. So after you go through training, you know, you get paid while you're going through training. But then sometimes, in fact, maybe 50% of the time, after you called up on your training, you know, you're waiting, you're sitting around, waiting for the work to become available for you to deploy. Huh. So that's another part of the contracting life that you need to be ready for. Financially, you need to be ready for the life of a contractor, right. which means that you could you could be doing a couple months before gigs, you know. Right. Oh, I do yeah, remember. So, uh, I do remember those. Yeah. My my wife used to complain in the early rounds, exactly. and I'd right. say, "There's more, <laughs> more pressure on the married guys." <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there was, and it was like, "When are you going back over?" It's like, "Well, I'm working on it," you know. And it's like yeah. by now, yeah. haven't you figured it out? Take all that money and sock it away. She got pretty good at that. You know, she catches on yeah. quick. But I mean, that's right. an important point that you're making. Um, yeah. You know, and what you were talking about earlier, taking care of your kids, we talk, uh, you know, um, layman's terms, we say that's part of being a man. Uh, but that's right. also, yeah. we say that's part of the uh, warrior ethos. I mean, a lot of people don't understand that we say, you know, take care of, take care of your family, be a man, uh, do the right thing. Right. Just, you know, suck it up, dude. Do what you got to do. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, right. So um, family's gonna be with you forever. Like I said, the contracting world—that's not a being a contractor. It's not a career. It's a job that you got to see how it fits into your life plan. You know, because mm -hmm. uh, I know I don't know a lot of contractors that have done this for twenty years. And even after twenty years, you don't have a pension. You don't have—you uh, know—the pension is what you saved. Right. You know, there's nothing. You're on your own when you're basically a. Uh, a contractor. Right. Now, I'll tell you, another another little thing here is, uh, 10, you know what a 1099 employee is, right? Most contractors yep. in the past have been 1099s. And what's been happening with the companies that make them 1099s, they've been getting in trouble. Hmm. Because 
as a company, if I tell you what to do, how to do it, what uniform to wear, you're no longer a contractor. You're an employee. Right. You need to pay taxes, workers' compensation, and stuff like that. So there's been a lot of contractors, a lot of companies, security companies, that have been spanked by the government because they're making them 1099 employees. So, again, when I say do your due diligence as a contractor, how do you get paid? Are you a 1099er or are you an employee? Right. I would side on the – I would – you know, if I had an option to go either 1099 with this company – or employee with this company, I'd be an employee with this company. Hmm. They take your taxes out. That, I know that that company is squared away. They're thinking about their own, you know, they're, they're doing everything right. As a 1099er, you know, you, you can probably still get away with it, but they're not doing it right. Right. Well, and that's an so important – I'm sorry, go ahead. Right. Yeah, you, you, you know, you got to look out for yourself. Well, I'd much rather have somebody else take my taxes out than me. <laughs> well, yeah, but and those are important things that a lot of guys don't think about because uh, I'm sure, uh, as I do, you know, guys that are that are still doing it. And and I'm asking, I was like, dude, when are you gonna, you know, when are you gonna stop? And it's like, yeah. I can't afford to to not to stop. And it's like, right. <laughs> it's right. like, what are you doing, man? Um, right. You know. So, but it's. Uh, so, I mean, I. I don't know a lot of them, but I do know a few guys have been doing it for, you know, coming up on 15 years or even longer. It's like, geez, Um, you know, and it's like, well, what do I find when I'm home? I mean, there's there's no work out there. And that's another thing. Uh, Maybe you can uh, touch upon. uh, You kind of already have. um, But, you know, guys that are, you know, they they come home uh, from rotation. They stick around for a few months, take some time off, and they're having a hard time finding something to to, to fill that that void, you know, right. because that 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 level of excitement isn't there, and and the jobs right. they're looking for, uh, <clears throat> I mean, even I've experienced it, uh, not so much anymore, but uh, you know, they tell you, well, you're overqualified, or you know, you don't even hear from yeah, them, right. and when you right. do, they yeah. tell you, well, I wasn't going to call you back because I looked at your resume, and it's like I thought you'd take off, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, right. I mean, do you have anything that you can? Maybe say to well, help. You know, as a contractor, you got to have a solid network. Not only do you have to have a network in the contracting business, but also your home station. What can you do when you're home? If you got if you got uh, instruction skills, you know, drop the ego. If there's work available to uh, you know to be your to do construction, you know, go make some phone calls and maybe you could. Uh, uh, be employed for a month while you're waiting on contract or something like that. You still have money coming in, but don't rely on the con. I don't. Here's here's. I, I don't rely totally on the contract stuff. So, you know, I got other things going on, and uh, uh, you know, you can't rely it solely for your income. You have to have other things, other avenues of revenue coming in. I mean, that's probably the biggest advice is, uh, uh, you know, because I do some instruction back in Virginia Beach. Uh, and the people I instruct, I'm 61 years old. I instruct seniors. Hmm. Got a little range. There's a lot of seniors, 55 and older. They want to know how to shoot the weapon, but they, but they are afraid to go to schools like at Blackwater and places like that because they have this standard. Well, okay, you got to draw your gun and shoot in a second and a half, or you got to get in a kneeling position to shoot two and a half seconds. Well, a guy who's older, I mean, I have both of my knees replaced. You know. 
you're not moving like that. <laughs> so they don't like that pressure. So this is more of a kickback, you know, at your own pace. I'll teach you the skills. You have the skills that, you know, you can do what you could do physically. And uh, that seems to be picking up. And uh, hmm. I also I also uh, teach courses for mission groups from churches that are going overseas and uh, doing hmm. mission mission work. You know, basically security awareness for the international traveler. Okay. So you know, you get you got to uh, you, know, you got to prepare yourself for the lack of contracting work. Contracting work to make, like I said before, make a lot of money, but there's risk, and the risk is you're not working all the time. Right. You have to have something to fill that void. Get hmm. creative. You know, figure out what your skills are. Who do you know? Uh, start, you know, start figuring out what's your life plan. You got to have a life plan, and you got to figure out what, uh, how this contracting shit. Oh, sorry, how this contracting stuff fits into it. Right. So networking right. and thinking, being creative and thinking outside the box, uh, doing some planning. And, and, don't, and don't always think that I'm a shooter. I'm a killer commander. That. You know, your revenue has to be attached to that, or your income has to be attached to that. You know, do something, you know, you know maybe not so high speed. Right. You know? Right. Construction, get a skill, you know, like electrician or, or something. And, you know, here's the other thing, you know, your body starts to wear out. <laughs> Me, at 61, I'm not going overseas and strapping on the body armor sitting in a home B where it's 2,000 degrees, you know. <laughs> I'm going to be sitting in a car with the air conditioner blowing. That's the type of work I look for. You know? <laughs> Basically, um, you know, I'm not I'm not that guy anymore that's going to go out there and, uh, uh, you know, suffer and and play around in the elements, you know. Right. <laughs> I got to have, like, comfort stuff now. <laughs> you know, I, I hear what you're saying loud and clear uh, because uh, – uh, I'm not going to say I'm dissimilar in that, <laughs> you know, I've, yeah. co- I've come, right. I've come around to enjoying the, uh, what we call the benefits of being home. Um, right. yeah. you know, yeah. and it, but it is, it is a completely different lifestyle. And I'm sure for you, for me, it took, it took me realistically, um, probably three to four years. I, I mean, maybe even at some point last year to finally, you know, calm down and come down and, and completely adjust to being in civilized society. Um, and right. I know that's yeah. that's a problem for a lot of these guys that do it for a long period of time. Um, yeah. And, right. and w- without that network, without that support, uh, without that plan that you talk about, uh, you know, these guys find themselves in trouble when they come home. And it's like, what am I going to do? So that's great yeah. advice. Right. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, now, are you aware of, you know, I frequently get asked by guys when we're talking about it, you know, uh, because there's, you know, there's plenty of support groups and, 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 and organizations for military and spouses and families. Uh, and, and I tell guys there probably are out there for private security contractors. They just they just don't uh, advertise it. Um, you know, are there places like that that you're aware of that guys can go to or, or touch, get, you know, where yeah. You know, I I, uh, I actually don't. I uh, you know I'm, I uh, you know if you, if you read the uh, the introduction of my book or you, know, you saw the cover of my book, you can see that I have a strong faith background, so I revolve around the church a lot, and uh, you know, that's where I find that if I ever had need to talk to somebody or or uh, you know I find it in the church. Hmm. People in a church, because in our church, you know, we got psychologists, we got psych, you know, we got those type of people that you can come up to and you can, 
just generally talk to them and, uh, hmm. and, you know, ask them, hey, do you think I need to see somebody? They'll say, hey, see this person right here, you know. They hmm. deal with anxiety or they deal with veterans or, uh, or something like that. So, you know, the, uh, I, I, I get, I get it from the church. You know, the, uh, you know, one of the things they're saying in the Bible is iron sharpens iron. You know, you need to have, you need to have that person that helps you. Mm. You need to find who that person is. Could be a friend, could be a total stranger, could be somebody in your church, could be your neighbor, but, you know, somebody that you could first talk to and you're comfortable talking with them. You know, if you fall down, you have to have a partner that's going to pick you up. Everybody falls down. Everybody needs that partner. Mm. When it says iron sharpens iron, that's what they're talking about. You know, how can you, you know, the Bible says, how can you stay warm if you're sleeping by yourself? But if you have a buddy, and that sounds kind of crazy, you're going to keep you warm. You know, <laughs> if you fall into a ditch, you need a buddy to help you out of that ditch. You know, right. But you always need that support group in place. Whether, well, when I say support group, you need that person, that friend, whether it's your, you know, your cousin, your brother, your sister, your mom, somebody in the church. You need to identify somebody that you could talk to, and uh, mm. uh, it could be they don't have to be a you know they don't have to be a licensed psychologist or something like that. But it's somebody you feel comfortable, and after you talk to them, uh, you know they're going to listen to you. But after you talk to them, they'll say, "Hey, man, I think you need to go see somebody else." Mm. Uh, mm. But you need you need it, you know. Right. Everybody needs it. Wow. Uh, you know, yeah. speaking and of what, and it I'm, may not even be. Uh, you know, related to combat or or your or what you did in the military, it could be something a problem with your kid that you have. You know, it could be uh, uh, hey, he's smoking weed or he's looking at pornography or things like that. You know, what are you gonna do? Uh, you know, it doesn't always have to be the uh, suicidal thing, but it could also be something. You know, like a uh, you know, like something I just mentioned right there. Right. You have that support system in place. That's a life thing. That's just not. A contractor thing. That's just, you know, a life thing. And, and you really don't realize it until you start getting older and you start seeing things, seeing people. You start seeing what's happening to other people who don't have somebody to talk to. Right. You, know, you start, you start seeing them on a down, on a spiral downhill. You, know, you just start seeing it spinning out of control. Mm. You say, you know, I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm going to make sure that I talk to somebody. I have my own support package in place. And that's a tough thing for a lot of people, isn't it? To reach out ego, and say, hey, ego, I need help. You're, you're a man, you know, you don't, I don't need this, I don't need that, you know, uh, and, I, and I'll tell you right now, you know, people could call me up if they need to, and, uh, I, you know, if I can't talk about it, hey, you need to see somebody, man, you need to get professional help. Right. You know, and, uh, and just as a human being, you need to be able to do that. Right. Wow. Yeah. You know, speaking of, of, of your book, uh, for, for the folks that are listening, um, you know, I've, I've, I've looked at the, re, uh, the, the preview and the reviews online, and I've got that book on order. Uh, it seems like a fascinating book. But, uh, you know, what struck me, and I'd like you to maybe expound on it a little bit for the folks that are listening, is uh, the, the theme of the book. And uh, so – Call it a, uh, a shameless plug. Go uh, if you want to tell people what it's sure. about, what you're what you what you're trying to teach them, or show them, or tell them. Right. Yeah. So so you know, I don't know if you know the movie Hacksaw Ridge. You ever seen that movie? Yes, I have. By a conscientious observer who uh, who and he's a Medal of Honor winner. I have nothing bad against him or not, but 
just the way he thought that, hey, I'm going into battle, and because I'm a Christian, I can't hurt anybody. Well, that is, that's not true. Uh, you know, if you look, and that's what the book's about. That's what kind of motivated, motivated me to write the book. You know, I, I got, I, ever since I was growing up, I've been going to church, but my curiosity started getting to me because I went to a Russian Orthodox church, and right next to my house was a Catholic church, and the Catholic church had a lot of people who went to it, and a lot of my friends went to it. In my Russian Orthodox church, I had about, you know, 10 people in that church, or small. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out what am I missing here? What's this? So I always had that curiosity. I, always had, I was always curious about what's the difference between these two faiths. And then when I joined the Navy, I even seen them more because now you have, you know, when you, on Sunday you have church, you have services for the Baptists, the Methodists, the Catholics, and all these other different religions. Hmm. My Orthodox wasn't in there. And so what, you know, what is the difference between these things? And that's, that's why I started taking a hard look at the Bible. And when I deployed, I had time to read the Bible. So I started reading it and I started becoming interested in it. And then, uh, I started really understanding it. And uh, when I saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge, I said, that's not that's not true. You know, Jesus didn't have a message of love, peace, turn the other cheek. Well, what does that mean to a guy like me who is, uh, you know, whose job is to go out there and, and basically take the life of somebody else, possibly? And, uh, but the Bible was full, you know, God, you know, when, when, you know why God created the big flood, right? It's because the world got so evil, he needed to destroy it. And that's, and God told the Israelites one time, you go destroy the Canaanites. Don't leave anybody alive. They're, they're, they're evil people. So, uh, you know, God has a history of uh, using man to destroy evil. And that's kind of what I talk about in the book. But the book's very patriotic. It's, uh, it's going to tell you about, uh, uh, you know, the trade. You know, you know what our country's motto is? United States motto. Uh, you, see, you see it every day. <laughs> Uh, oh man, you caught me off guard. <laughs> it, it, it is uh, our country's official motto is "In God We Trust." Thank you. Right. Okay. Explain what that means. And here's the other thing: this country was built. You know, when the Pilgrims came over, and when the uh, Jamestown settlement guys came, Jamestown guys yeah. came over. They, they had a. They had a uh, from the king. They had a. Uh, they had like an order. In their order, there was only one written statement of purpose in both of those uh, orders. That it's not called a compact. It was they were to spread the Christian faith. Hmm. So this country was started on people whose job was to spread the Christian faith. Hmm. And then the book talks a lot about that and why this country founding principles was based on the Christian. So I get a lot. I talk a lot about that. So as an American citizen, you know exactly the history of your country. Hmm. People forgetting that they're forgetting all about that Christian history. You know when the uh, you one of the founding fathers' first purchase was ten thousand Bibles for the school because once the revolution was over, England refused to import or export Bibles to to America. So the founding, the, the Continental Congress, they spent money and they had, uh, you know, they got 10,000 Bibles printed. Wow. And Washington wanted them to be small Bibles so the soldiers could carry them in their uh, pockets. But they were to be 
sent to the schools. So the schools used them when they were, uh, you know, when the kids were learning their ABCs and stuff like that. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, I talk about, again, the Christian history of this church and uh, of this country and why this country is a Christian nation and how God uses Christian fighting men to wipe out evil. A good example of it was uh, World War II. God's chosen people, you know, the Jews, were targeted for genocide. It wasn't until the Christian nation of the United States got involved and the Nazis were wiped out. Hmm. Yeah, go, it's almost comparable to the Canaanites. Hmm. God ordered the Jews or the Israelites to go in and wipe out the Canaanites. We went in there and wiped out the Nazis. You know, we had our allies with us, but we were leading the charge. Right. So the book talks about stuff like that. Hmm. It also gets into some pretty cool stuff, but one of the chapters about sharpening the sword, I used two, I used the, the Samurais and the Spartans as examples. And I used, what I talk about is how they became such fearless warriors. And, uh, you know, one of the commonalities between the two groups was the fact that they started involving their boys when they were boys at young ages. When a samurai kid, boy, was old enough to, or strong enough to pick up a wooden sword, they started teaching them two things, how to fight and then the uh, philosophy of Buddhism and, the, uh, and their religion, basically. Hmm. The same things with the Spartans. The Spartans started the boys at a young age, and they went to a military academy. And at 12 years old, they were assigned a male mentor. Mm. They taught them how to fight, and they also taught them the religion of the Spartans. Mm. So in society today, the male, and I talked about this in the last part of the book, the male boy growing up has more influence on the Internet and his friends than he does with his father. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I talk about that. If we want to produce the next generation of warriors, we need to be more involved with the with the male kids that are we're responsible for. And uh, so, you know, the book kind of crosses a lot of different topics, but it's all about patriotism, patriotism and uh, Christianity and, uh, you know, developing the next boy who's going to be fighting in our wars. Wow. That's excellent. You know, I mean, because... Uh... Uh, I won't go into it, uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm right on there with you, uh, with, 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 you know, these things that I've come to realize that you're talking about. And it's interesting because I've, uh, you know, been, I've read two of the holy texts or books, if you will. Um, and right. I'm, and I read one intermediary in between picking up the third one. And these are different religions, but it's interesting because I tell people and I get in arguments with my mom about it all the time. It's like, you know, if you just read the unadulterated stuff and, and read the print and just take it at face value, I think it's pretty amazing. But it has, but where I'm going with that is it's been a huge, I mean, I can't even articulate how huge the help it has been just in, yeah. for me and, and, and my wife and my kids, you know, and just, you know, um, being a better human being. Um, right. yeah. You know, so I, that, you know, yeah, hats yeah. off to you, man. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I I study this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there's three there's three parts of of learning. First, you gotta you gotta know. Like you probably heard the verse uh, "born again." Yeah, probably heard that a thousand times. Yeah, but you have to understand what that means. I, and I talk about that in this book. Hmm. You actually have to understand it. And then the third level is you have to 
be able to apply it to your life. So you you know of it, you understand it, and then you apply. Mm. That application is called wisdom. Mm. And, that, and you can apply that to the military lifestyle, your family lifestyle, or just to life in general. Mm. But you got to know it and you got to understand it, and then you got to apply it. You know, that's very interesting, and I agree with you, um, because, and I'm going to say this because, you know, I hear this a lot. Uh, you know, yeah. you probably have heard it too, but uh, they say, well, how do you make that jive with the person that you are, your past, your history? How can you, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. how, I, how I can you square those? That. <laughs> I explain that, that in detail in this book. Okay, okay. That is, the, that is the one, that's the number one objective of this book. Okay. That's awesome, man. Uh, so uh, this has been a fantastic uh, discussion, and it's and, and at some point in the future, I'd love to do another one. But as so as we wrap this up, uh, is there something uh, a takeaway or two or three that you something you would like to leave these folks with uh, as as we approach the end here? Uh, you know, probably just want to iterate the uh, you know contracting life isn't for everybody. You really have to uh, know what your uh, life vision is. I've said that a couple times, you know, today. And uh, you gotta know, you gotta know how to uh, need to be ready to work it, and not put your family in harm. And what I mean by putting your family in harm financially, you know, paying the bills, spending time with the kids, making sure you know they're not growing up without a father, that type of stuff. Mm. So you gotta evaluate all that stuff, and then if it's uh, it's for you. Invest in yourself, and uh, and I uh, wish you the best of luck. Wow. So, uh, and then last thing, uh, um, I, I kind of put these in backward order, but uh, so you, so you, you're still contracting of sorts, but your life has changed now that you're, you know, not. But uh, I guess, what are you doing now? What's different? Uh, what are your plans for the future? Um, you know, what are you doing these days? Yep. So, um, you know, I'm still doing the contracting stuff. I'm staying conus as much as I possibly can. Uh, I've developed a network of companies that I would uh, work for. And what when I work for these companies, I try to become valuable to them because if you if they see value in you, you know, they'll choose that value over somebody who's not providing them any value. Hmm. It provides value in my attitude, my ego, and just my performance. Hmm. And, uh, so I'm, uh, you know, I, I have a couple companies that I uh, that I like. I think they're treating me right. They're treating everybody around them right. They got good attitudes. They got good ethics uh, that they operate with. And uh, so I'm kind of staying with them and uh, just balancing out, you know, home time. I don't have anybody at home. I'm a widower. My kids are all grown. So, mm. you know, this I could do this stuff a lot better probably than a, a you know, somebody that has a family because I'm not too worried about. My kids, you know, they're all grown. I talk to them every day. But uh, uh, so I'm doing the domestic or right there, the Conus uh, contracting stuff out. I'm uh, developing a website right now where I could uh, online training courses. And uh, they're in three online training with the firearms tactics and uh, uh, international travel, safety awareness, stuff like that. Hmm. And also I've blended in uh, – uh, some uh, kingdom classes, you know, about the stuff that I talk about in my book are, are in there as well. So I'm, I'm actually building that right now. It's a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> I'm getting that down. 
And, uh, you know, I, I plan on stop working at uh, 65, which is about four years from now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you've done a good job planning that. Uh, so uh, last thing here. If you talk about the websites, and that led me to my next, to the last thing here, people want to reach out, contact you, find out more, um, you know, get involved with whatever it is you're doing. How, how can they get a hold of you? Website, anything like that? Yeah, well, uh, uh, it's not quite complete yet, but I mean, my, you know, if somebody needs to talk to me about anything, I'm, I, uh, my, my, my email is uh, Jim, J I M. 59 at rocketmail, M-A-I-L dot com. And okay. I'd be uh, more than happy to, you know, talk to anybody about, you know, this industry or like stuff. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Jim, I got to say, man, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor uh, speaking with you. Um, all the more so since uh, you, um, since you're busy, <laughs> I won't say what you're doing, uh, you know, yeah. but uh, that, that's awesome. Um, and uh, if you could stick around for just a moment when we're done here, I'd appreciate it. Um, sure. So with that said, folks, hey, I thank everybody for tuning in. Um, remember to be careful what you wish for. And until next time, keep it real. Hey, this is Scott Dresser, host of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Give it a big shout out for an RFS in Florida in need of 500 people for disaster security. They are actively seeking personnel for standby deployment for a potential hurricane in Florida starting uh, Sunday, the uh, second day of August uh, this year. Shifts are 12-hour days and nights, seven days minimum in terms of duration, possible extension, depending on storm damage. Travel, lodging, and rentals are provided. Pay is 300 a day. The proviso, you must be licensed to provide security in Florida. If you're interested, contact Jay Boyer at LutherManagement.com. That's J-B-O-Y-E-R at LutherManagement.com. One more time, J-B-O-Y-E-R at Luther, L-U-T-H-E-R-M-G-M-T dot com.